welcome to the So Wizards podcast. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host, as always, is a Wizards blogging luminary. Some of you know him as Individual One. He is, in fact, Kevin Broom. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm just I, great. Does that make you individual? To usually, it's like Thing One is how I'm described. But okay, yeah, we'll go with Individual One. Well, I like to keep it timely. Um, so, you know, I, I use phrases like, uh, luminary and legend and first ballot blogging hall of famer mostly to make you feel uncomfortable. But on today's episode, we're going to, um, touch on the multiple hats you've worn in the, in our beloved wizards blogosphere from, Hmm. you know, nerdy stats based analyst to, uh, old fashioned news reporter. So that's all exciting. Um, and, uh, let's, let's just jump right in. So, um, in in, uh, in in a few minutes, we'll we'll discuss the the Wizards' egg laying at the hands of a terrible Cavaliers team. But for now, we have an actual trade to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wizards traded everyone's favorite stepdad, Jason mm-hmm. Smith, and uh, uh, cash considerations. Uh, we don't know how much, uh, and a, a 2022 second round pick uh, for. Sam Decker, uh, there's a there's obviously a financial aspect to this trade. There is probably a basketball aspect to this trade too. Um, tell me what you think. Well, it's it's a good deal because the, it, certainly in terms of financially, it's a good deal for them. They save a bunch of money. It's a I good think, deal. Uh, End of podcast. Extensions yeah. for everyone. Have a good day, everybody. Yeah, well, here's the thing. They got rid of they they traded away an older guy who was in an unproductive roster, but he was not producing anything on the floor, and he was costing them a lot of money. They're going to save probably five million dollars or so in salary and luxury tax um, by making this trade. And to get a Sam Decker, I mean, when he came out of college, I had him rated as having being worth a first round pick, right around where he was picked, 18th overall in the draft. And he was decent in his second season in the league in Houston. Um, I don't think he's going to be anything particularly good. There's nothing really to indicate that. He doesn't shoot the ball very well. He doesn't shoot free throws very well. His three-point percentage is pretty meh, and it was in college, too. You know, he doesn't rebound all that well. He has the potential to be, you know, an okay, maybe end-of-rotation kind of guy. But... They weren't getting anything out of Jason Smith, and it saves them money to bring in Decker, so it's a good deal in that sense. The thing that makes trading Smith a little difficult is that the Wizards have a, uh, shall we say, challenged culture. They, they have a bad locker room and a bad team culture, and Jason Smith was one of the few real bright spots. He was you know, relentlessly enthusiastic. He cheered for his teammates. He was... He's he's a good guy, and that that sort of good natured, optimistic, enthusiastic support is valuable. And while it doesn't show up on the court, and the team obviously still had a messed up culture even when he was there, it still is gonna gonna hurt them. I think in the locker room to lose him. Well, uh, uh, it's, yeah. So in that basis, it's a little painful to 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 trade him, but. It's still a good deal, and if I was running the team, I mean, you do this deal 100 times out of 100 if you're in the Wizards situation. So there's a lot to unpack there. So so first of all, 
you know, Candace Buckner had a piece in the Post this morning echoing what you just said. Basically, uh, everyone's sad to see Jason Smith go, for, uh, and and the reactions ranged it seemed from you know anger to just oh, this is a crappy part of the business. And and you know, this my my thought on that is yeah, it's it's a crappy part of the business, and and you hate to to let go of a, of a great guy who, who was a positive force. But, um, as, as we discussed on our last episode, it is, it's not tenable or acceptable to be both bad, which the wizards are and super expensive. And so, mm-hmm. you know, these are the kinds of moves that happen. You, you, you get rid of guys who, um, as a way to save, money period so to the extent that wizards players are um upset at moves like this uh, you know i i can't imagine that they that they were particularly surprised by it or um would expect anything otherwise i'm sure there's some sort of whataboutism people thinking man why would you trade jason smith and not this guy who's mm-hmm. who, who's not a locker room presence but but as as you have pointed out several times you know, from the Jason Smith contract from the start was ridiculous. He was, mm-hmm. he, he was basically a, a minimum salary guy, um, you know, for a year, maybe two, if you want to be crazy. And the Wizards gave him uh, effectively a three-year deal, a two-year deal with a, with a player option for the third year uh, at over 5 million bucks a year. And um, so... I think I, I agree with you. I think this is a good trade, um, but it's also important to you know. It, it's another echo of the summer of 2016, and mm-hmm. we're going to keep talking about it until it stops echoing. You know, if it, to uh, for, for those scoring at home, they've now used a first round pick to unload Andrew Nicholson, and by the way, that first round pick is turning into a hell of a player in Jared Allen. And yeah. now they've used a second round pick um, to un- unload Jason Smith. Um, so the thing with Smith and his contract, just to sort of loop back on that, is that contract was re- was ridiculous on several levels. One is the salary, and two is the length that the, the three year deal. And this is a point that you made: is that Smith is the only person who signed at that level, at that salary level, who got a third year much less a third year at his option. That's, that's just crazy. They could have signed him to uh, minimum salary contracts for that, that season and then just lather, rinse, repeat for as long as they wanted. Jason Smith this season at the minimum is fine. There's no objection. They could have brought him back next year at the minimum. He, is a min- he was and is a minimum salary player. And if there was quote-unquote bidding that took him up beyond that, the Wizards should have just moved on because there was nothing to suggest that he was going to be like a, a really good player or that he was going to be worth that kind of money or anything else. It was just a preposterous contract. And I like Smith. I like him a lot. But it was a terrible business move to give him, you know, a three-year contract at the, the level $5 million a year that he got when they could have just signed him at the league minimum and just kept doing that every year that they wanted him back for the rest of his career. I, I like him a lot too, which is why um, I'm 
very happy for him because now he gets to go to a good team uh, and play with a superstar in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, by the way, a relentlessly positive superstar and for a really good coach. And um, they're posi- the Bucks are positioning themselves to get even better. And so I'm, I'm happy for Jason Smith. Uh, you know, not only did he fall back backwards into uh, into a lot of money, but now he's in a good situation, and and he seems yeah. like uh, a, a deserving guy in that respect. So so good for Jason Smith. Um, mm-hmm. And and like I said, it's frustrating that they had to use a pick to unload him. That said, like my my sense is that um, I don't remember who made this point. If it was Troy Halliburton or someone else, but the second round. Are second round picks worth as much as they used to be now that with these two way contracts and uh, I mean how do you how do you view uh, the, the Wizards are, hmm. are without their second round picks now I think until something like twenty twenty three between using them to acquire crappy players like Tim Frazier and uh, uh, Trey Burke and 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 then using them to unload. Other crappy players like <laughs> Jody Meeks and 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 Jason Smith. So um, uh, the Wizards don't seem to think they're worth very much. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's. What do you think? let's uh, I mean, well, here's the way. One of the ways that I think about second round picks, and that is this. Okay, so second round picks are obviously they're very cheap. They get unguaranteed contracts, generally speaking, at the league minimum. So. And the hit rate on them is not super high. I mean, you, it's, but it, it's higher, obviously, the higher up you go into the into the second round. So if you have like the 31st pick, for example, that, that's somebody, that's a much more valuable pick than, say, the 60th pick. Right. But the thing with second round picks is it's, it's kind of like th- there's a big range in the quality of second round picks. And the draft is enough of a crapshoot. There, there's not that much of a difference between, say, an undrafted free agent and a guy picked, you know, towards the end of the first round right. in a lot of cases. And a lot of whether a guy becomes a good player or not is how much how much he's willing to work, how hard he's willing to work, how smart he's willing to work, and he, to some extent, the the system and the coaching that that's around him. You know, how does the team want to use him? How are they going to teach him? How are they going to develop that player, right? So with the second round picks, you know, in like the last, what, 10 or 15 years, you get the range of players who are absolutely useless to players who are like Carlos Boozer and Gilbert Arenas and um, Isaiah Thomas, who was the 60th pick in the draft, who in like Yoda, for example, my my draft analyzer, had a first round grade. My point is this, is that second round picks, each individual pick is a very inexpensive wager in a sense. You're, you're basically placing a very low wager um, on whether or not this guy might be able to become a good player. And so my approach to like, or my thinking is, and I think the math would back me up on this, is that if you have an opportunity to make like a really low price of wager, like a penny wager, right, that has a chance to pay you nothing, or a chance to pay you, say, $10 million, right? You want lots and lots and lots of those bets, right? And so the Wizards give them away because they say, well, there's only about a 50% chance we'll even get a rotation player out of this for you know a few years. And there's like a 
5% chance. I'm spitballing. Those are probably pretty close to the odds, but maybe I'm a little high. Say it's a 1% chance that you're going to get an all-star level player or a starter. Let's say just say a starter quality player um, out of the second round. And so the Wizards look at those numbers and say, eh, it's not worth our time. When what they should be saying is 1% chance of getting a guy who is a quality starter for us for five or six years is is worth the penny wager of uh, a minimum unguaranteed minimum salary contract where if the guy doesn't work out, we can just cut him and move on. Or now with the, the, the G League and the two-way contracts and all that kind of stuff that you can now, you know, move a guy down to the G League. You can send him down to the G League to develop. So if he comes into training camp and you, you liked him, but he's not that good, you can just send him to the G League and let him play there, you know? Yeah, or you can could, cut a guy and send him to G League. You right. know, there's I mean, there's a million have, options. We could have a very long discussion on this that, uh, you know, you look yeah, at I mean, Wizards roster wait a minute, and you, say two of the you, You've got the, the NBA, better, so you, right. you tell me. Like, well, what, what would you do? <laughs> well, to, look, I mean, it's interesting because two of the better players on – it's crazy saying this. Two of the better players on the Wizards roster right now are – Second round picks, Thomas Bryant and uh, and Thomas Sadoransky, but Bryant, by the way, first round grade in in Yoda. Okay, so so Sadoransky marinated overseas for a few years, so he came over mm-hmm. when he was more ready. And and Bryant, while you know, give the Wizards credit, he became available because the Lakers Lakered, and the Wizards, to their credit, snapped him up. So it's one of those things where you could debate for a while to figure out what the right strategy is at the end of the day the wizards are where they are they were where they were before this trade and they're like well this is it if this is the price to cut our tax bill um it's a must so again i i think it was a good trade i i think there's a and maybe i'm being stupidly optimistic here but there is a basketball aspect to this trade and and i want to talk about sam decker a little bit um, there's a couple interesting things about Sam Decker for me. First of all, as I've mentioned repeatedly, the Wizards are um, in desperate need of uh, players for next year's roster because uh, it, you know half the team or more is are, are impending free agents. So so Decker is uh, he's 24. He'll be. 25 at the start of next season so getting ready to enter his physical prime he's going to be a restricted free agent and he has not uh, for a variety of circumstances he hasn't established himself as a um, as a valuable NBA rotation player yet and so I think that at 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 worst the he could play on next year's team under the qualifying offer. And if the Wizards, um, if he has a a good rest of the season or if the Wizards have done a lot of scouting and are bullish on him, there's an opportunity to lock him up um, for three years. If you want to get crazy, maybe four at a, at a potentially very team-friendly number because I got to think that, you know, Sam Deckard now says, okay, I'm in my fourth season. I'm on my fourth team. I'm... I'm potentially playing for my NBA life. If someone's going to give me some job security, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to take it unless I'm going to take a very risky gamble on myself. So so I, I like that aspect of it. 
you had mentioned when we spoke uh, that Decker had what a mid first round grade in in Yoda in ye old draft analyzer. Is that right? Yeah, well, like a later part of the first round grade. Okay. Uh, right, he got picked 18th, and that's basically about as high as I would have picked him. Okay, so. so his rookie year in Houston, he had back surgery and missed most of the season. He played three games. His second year in Houston, he played 77 games, and that's when you said he had a had what you would consider a pretty good season for a 22-year-old? Yeah, I had him with a PPA of 85 in his second season, which is pretty good. Yeah. Especially for a guy coming off the bench. Yeah. So then he gets traded from Houston to the Clippers as part of that, you know, uh, five or six player package as part of the the Chris Paul deal. And he goes to a Clipper team last season that is in all sorts of turmoil. Uh, They trade Blake Griffin. Uh, They're, you know, they're, they're in massive transition. He Plays 73 games, he, he, but he, he plays 12 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a very good season, but, um, you know, that's you a... Know, falls to a PPA of 56. Right, okay. Uh, tough circumstance for a young player. Okay, so then he was traded, basically, uh, he was traded over the summer from the Clippers to the Cavs. It looks like they basically just gave him away because the Clippers weren't going to pay him and maybe there was cash involved actually our good friend our, our good friend vladimir viramenko i think 2006 uh second round pick of the wizards was in the uh his rights were in that trade um yeah. and, and you know goes to a Cavs team that's obviously terrible and in all sorts of transition of their own and um and and now he ends up here so you know, the bad news if you're sam decker and what you're really looking for is is stability and and a and a regular role you end up in Washington um so so maybe not ideal from from that perspective but looking at the surface and at and at the the, the low hanger hanging numbers i don't see anything that says to me um that sam decker is appreciably worse than kelly Oubre and hmm. uh and he'll probably be a lot less expensive next year and you know, maybe I can get something for Ubre in a trade. Well, I, one, I would agree with you that he's not appreciably worse than Ubre, and the, and maybe you could get something for Ubre. I suspect so because I think that there would be a lot of teams who think, who look at that athleticism and his motor, and think that they could make something into make something of him if they could just get him into their system and work with them. And maybe they would be right. I think that you would have a really uphill climb convincing anyone with the Wizards that Sam Decker was any better than was better than Kelly Oubre or was at least even an equivalent player. You know, they they have a pretty high opinion of him, even with the frustrations of his inconsistency and that kind of stuff, because they think of it more as inconsistency rather than these are just kind of the normal variations of a player who's just not that good. So, well, so just as it relates to Decker, for his career, he's got an offensive rating of 112, which is quite solid. Um, I know you're not a huge win shares per 48 guy, but, but for his career, just under 0.1. So it it was, you know, in 2,500 career minutes, those are says this guy's kind of an average NBA player, which at at his age um, for what they got him for, I, I, I don't think that's bad. Now, like you, I'm not optimistic that 
the Wizards know what they have or uh, are, are going to know what to do with him. But, uh, you know, if Sam Decker were, you know, ended up in uh, in San Antonio or Oklahoma City or, or Utah or something like that, I, I tend to think that Sam Decker would, would turn into a pretty good player. You know, he maybe. You know, I would say he's he's been pretty below average so far. Now, there's lots of reasons to think that certainly the instability and moving around and all that kind of stuff, that certainly can play a role in that. And the Wizards should have an opportunity to see what he can do. But I would guess that basically what he's done so far would suggest somebody who's going to be like an end of the rotation, ninth or 10th guy, you know, 12 to 15 minutes a game. And if they get that from him and he's, a you know, PPA in the say the seventies, that's that's a win for that that level of of player. So yeah, yeah for, you know he for he can provide the value. Then he's not going to make very much money um, over this year or next, even if he signs. You know, comes back at the qualifying offer, and so if they have him around this year and next uh, at that level, then you know he, that's probably that's fine. That's like sort of it's a little bit more than the league minimum, but not a lot. And you know that's like I said, that's fine. So the, the, my other thought is when I saw this trade is the, the Wizards aren't done. And, and, and we'll talk about in just one more moment, we're going to talk about the, the piece um, you're reporting this week about potential John Wall trades. But the, the Wizards are clearly trying to save money. I, I, would, I would bet that by season's end, they will be under the luxury tax threshold. Um, and there's a couple things to remember with that. One, getting under the luxury tax threshold means that they don't pay. Obviously, they don't pay the tax. But the other thing that it means is they get the league-wide distribution from the tax, which I, I, I think it currently projects to about $4.8 million per team. So if the Wizards mm-hmm. got under, you know, maybe it's – I have no idea what the math is. Maybe it's 3.5, maybe it's $4 million, But th- there are – there are financial incentives um, for the Wizards to get under. So, you know, whether it's whether it's Rivers or Morris or if there's a Jan Mahinmi deal out there or something, I, I, I got to think that that the Wizards are going to are going to get under the tax. And by the way, I, I think it's important that they get under the tax. And, and this is not because I, I care about the um, about hmm. Ten Leonsis's you know, how much money he spends, there are um, strategic benefits to being under the tax, to not uh, being a repeater tax team. So I actually think for the Wizards' flexibility and, and their ability to add talent and, and make smart moves going forward, I, I think it's pretty important that they get under that tax threshold. So yes, more, more trades are coming. And speaking of trades, you reported a piece this week that hopefully everyone's read it, but 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 you tell me what you reported this week. So what I reported was what I was told by several couple of agents by a source who is not affiliated with the NBA, but who has longstanding ties with uh, LeBron James and Rich Paul. And that is that the Rich Paul is attempting to orchestrate a trade of John Wall to the Los Angeles Lakers. The names being mentioned coming back from the Lakers were Alonzo Ball, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and either Kyle Kuzma, depending on who's telling the story, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, or Brandon Ingram. 
I also talked with uh, someone in the Wizards front office about the about that trade and about some other topics as well, but about that trade proposal specifically. And uh, the Wizards say that that trade proposal has not been brought to them, but they also said that they would be open to trading anyone on the roster if the, if the deal was right. So it's not imminent. I mean, uh, Caldwell Pope can't be traded until December 15th because of the CBA and the way the rules are written. He signed, I think, a one-year contract for, you know, that basically means he can't get traded until the 15th. And so, you know, nothing can happen for another week, but um, it, it's something that I was, to be honest, surprised. I, I talk about in the story, I, I went through, in the story that I wrote for Bullets Forever, I went through what each person told me. I described uh, the various conflicts in the stories, the conflicting details. And, you know, the, the whole thing started from some guy called, I think it's Gary the Numerology Guy or something like that on Twitter, saying that this trade was happening and he did like hashtag NBA Insider. I've got no idea who this person is. And I figured it was ridiculous, but there was it was just plausible enough that I decided to ask um, someone and I asked an agent and that reply came back, oh yeah, yeah, this is something that's, that, that Rich Paul is working on, which surprised the hell out of me. And... I was dubious enough still that I asked another agent friend of mine, someone I've known for quite a few years, and the reply back there was, yeah, this is something that Rich Ball is working on. And so one of the reasons why, one of the reasons given to me was that, and this is from the, the contact that I talked to who is close to LeBron and Rich, was that um, there's concern uh, with the Lakers and with LeBron and with Rich Paul that free agents don't want to come to Los Angeles to play with LeBron. And the players, just generally speaking, don't want to play with LeBron James. And by just by sheer coincidence, Rick Buecher, you know, former Sports Illustrated uh, basketball, NBA basketball writer, been around a long time. He came out with a story um, later the, that afternoon. We published my story in the morning on Bullets Forever. And Rick published a story he'd been working on for a couple of weeks about how nobody wants to play with LeBron James. And yeah. it included like on the record quotes from Kevin Durant and a bunch of other stars. And it it's, it's a reason. I mean, it, I will say, you know, just from, from my side of things, you know, my, the way my brain works, if I was running the Lakers, there is a 0% chance that I would make that trade. All right. Well, I'm going to stop you for a second. So, so, yeah. so, so first <laughs> of all, it, 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 um, if you have not read this piece on bullets forever, Go read it, and and um, I've I've really enjoyed talking to you as you've put it together um, because it's it's it sits in pretty stark contrast to um, a lot of NBA rumor pieces that that get uh, reported these days. The the way the, the way news comes out, so I really like the way you without identifying who your sources are, how you, um, you separate them out and, and say, you know, this guy says this, this person says that. Um, and, and, you know, you realize that there is definitely some overlap here that would seem to indicate that it is very likely that indeed there are discussions happening about a John Wall, um, trade to the, to the, to the Lakers. Um, 
who precisely those discussions are and what the exact nature of those discussions are, um, are, are, are up for some debate and which doesn't surprise me that your front office source, um, gave you a sort of a lawyerly response saying this trade hasn't been brought to us. Well, that can mean a lot of things. Um, doesn't mean that, that a version of that trade hasn't been brought to them, or that doesn't mean parameters haven't been brought to them. Um, uh, th so this is something, I mean, this delights me from the, just from the standpoint of my ego, because it's, <laughs> it's something that I speculated about over the summer. Um, John Wall hired Rich Paul, I believe, after he signed his um, Supermax extension. And so, you know, that begged the sort of question was, you know, what's he hiring him to do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Wall has has open, has has talked openly about his admiration for LeBron. You know, when LeBron was in Cleveland and their whole Wizards Cavs quasi rivalry and you know there's a lot of mutual respect there so I, I it would not at all surprise me if um, if Wall uh, wanted to go uh, to LA I mean who doesn't want to go to LA um, yeah. and and if he didn't view playing for a glamour franchise like the Lakers and playing with with the best player or one of the best two players ever as a preferable situation to the one he's in. Um, look, I, I, I agree with you, you know, if I were, were the Lakers, I, I, I wouldn't touch this, but I'm a little hopeful because I feel like post signing, um, LeBron, the Lakers moves showed a front office is not that bright. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, the, 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 mag the, the, the magic Palinka um, duo didn't exactly knock the cover off the ball after signing LeBron. And, and so I think, you know, you, you mentioned this before in the context of, I think, uh, Sam Decker, but, but, you know, organizational GM hubris is one of my favorite things where it's, you know, people rather than getting real and saying, this guy is what he is. They say, man, if, um, if this guy could, if we could get this guy in our system with our coaches, mm -hmm. you know, he'd be more consistent. He's be, he'd be his best version of himself. So, so I can imagine the Lakers saying, look, if we could just get John wall in a situation where he, you know, he wasn't the man, he didn't have all the, you know, quote unquote pressure he had on him in Washington and LeBron could put his arm around him and didn't have all the playmaking responsibilities. And, you know, we know Tom Haberstrow, has this piece about how Wall's the slowest player in the Eastern Conference, but uh, you know we think that Wall could watch tapes of LeBron and D Wade and see how good a cutter Wade was off the ball, and 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 <laughs> Wall could be that guy, and and so so there's that, and then there's also the um, if I'm Rich Paul and I and I see Rick Buecher's piece and. I mean, you want to spare your superstar client the embarrassment of of no one wanting to play with him, and you're and you're and you're going to um, to Magic and Palinka and saying, "Look, you're the Lakers. You guys cannot uh, risk the embarrassment of having all these superstars change teams and and no one coming here." And by the way, you know the prospect of Kawhi Leonard or Durant or someone like that. Um, going to the Clippers, you know, playing the same building for a little while. 
um, but but not to play with LeBron James. So I'm so I'm playing up that angle. The where things fall apart for me a little bit on the Rich Paul side is that he also represents Anthony Davis, and and I don't I, I don't know why you'd be pushing the Lakers to get John Wall if it would cost the chance to get Davis out of New Orleans into L.A. with LeBron. But uh, you know maybe maybe there's there's something there. Yeah, well, one th- one point, I mean, I agree with you on that. It, it could be that, uh, you know, Anthony Davis has, is one of those free agents who's already communicated that he does not want to play with LeBron. That's a, yeah. po- that's a possibility, you know, and that Anthony Davis uh, maybe want, prefers to stay in New Orleans. You know, that's also possible. So, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities there. One point I just wanted to make on the story is that I wrote is that this, what I reported was not like, it's not a prediction and it's not something that I just, you know, pulled out of my, <laughs> pulled out of my rear end. Yes. This was, this was stuff that you can say ass people in the, the league told time. me. Yeah. People, this is what people told me. So this was reporting what the conversations were is, uh, you know, summarizing them and trying to communicate who these people were without giving the names, because of course they're all in positions where they really can't be talking about this sort of stuff. So that everything that I talked about it, everything that was in the story, you know, there was basically, this is what, this is what these people told me. And then at the end, there's a little section of analysis about, you know, what I think of the proposed deal, what it would mean for the various individuals and for the teams. But this is, like I said, I'm not making a prediction about the trades. Um, I wasn't even really advocating one way or the other on it. I was, trying to describe what people had told me. And well, so that's, uh, that's what's in the story. I will advocate. I mean, uh, the I tweeted this last night in, in the midst of the Wizards' disaster in Cleveland, but, but the Wizards and John Wall at this point are, are, are better off without one another. And, and, I, and I would love to see... Um, I'd love to see John Wall succeed elsewhere. Um, it would be bittersweet, but... Um, you know the the we've got the last couple seasons and 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 the last couple games to uh, that have sort of convinced me that um, uh, that the Wizards as a team are just um, that, you know yes they are their best selves when Wall is his best self but um, that's not the reality of of, of the way things are um, yeah. and 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 um, I, I like Lonzo Ball a, a lot, and and so if they could free themselves from Wall's contract and um, and get Lonzo Ball, um, I uh, I'm all for it. It's funny because wh- when the Lakers um, uh, uh, stretched Lou Deng's contract over the summer, I actually said to myself, "Oh damn, that that sort of um, that closes the book on the possibility of Wall going to L.A." because I was looking at this Supermax extension terrified and thinking like, man, that Luol Deng contract's terrible, but if you can get through next season, you know, then you're off the wall deal and, 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 you know, presumably you get ball and, and another prospect or two in the, in the deal. And and to me, that's a deal I would have made. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. um, you know, what a home run for the Lakers. Cause then they don't have, they don't have that dead money. And, and I think under those circumstances, they probably still would have been able to to, to land another star. And so, um, I, I 
I want everyone to go back in time and, and, and to do that. But, but um, yeah, this, this deal makes sense. Mark Berman, who is, is, is with the New York post and uh, he's generally the New York, uh, the, 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 the Knicks reporter who's closest to the Knicks front office. He reported this week that, um, that the Knicks are quote unquote stockpiling assets to make a run at wall, whatever that means. Like as if, as if trading for wall requires a stockpile of, of assets at this point and not just matching contracts. I, I, I don't think uh, if you have your eye on wall, I don't think that trading for him now makes a ton of sense unless you're worried about being able to match salary over the summer. And maybe that's not a small, a, a small thing, but you know, if, if the Knicks have designs on Durant or something like that, it makes no sense to to, to right. trade for Wall now. But if if they strike out in free agency, you know, I, I think Wall goes great with Porzingis, and it makes the Knicks more relevant than they are now. That, that's beside the point. Long story short, read Kevin's piece on Bullets Forever, and um, and there's a lot to uh, to brace ourselves for as 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 wizards fans as the season progresses so the 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 final thing is a sober are you sober i'm sober yeah i am at the moment <laughs> is is a sober <laughs> say sober assessment of the of where the wizards stand now so the wizards um got blown out in cleveland last night by a team that is playing without their best player in kevin love that's traded Kyle Korver for nothing that this week traded um, uh, George Hill um, and uh, they got destroyed by um, Tristan Thompson and, and you know they got blown out by a team that's trying to be bad and mm-hmm. um, you know it's on the heels of looking pretty good against another bad team in Atlanta Um when Wall didn't play, and that informs the comment that I made before, that they just, you know, they, they seem like a more functional group uh, without Wall. I, you know, we've talked about this before, and we tend to, I at least I do, tend to sort of couch criticisms of Wall in the caveats of he's very good and he could be great and, all those kinds of things. And so let's just say that all those things are, are true, but let's also acknowledge that he's not playing that way. He's not all that good. He's still good. He's still better than average, but he's not very good. And with him using 29% of the team's possessions to shoot 48%, 49% from two point range, 31% from three point range, 68% from the free throw line. That's not good. And that's part of the reason why they are struggling. And what is John Wall's PPA at this moment? His PPA is, after last night's game, was 121. Average, of course, being 100. His um, defensive impact is... He's generally been a plus defender, at least in the defense part of PPA. Um, it's been down a little bit in the you know the last couple... Of, last year it was down... A couple of years ago, it was starting to sort of taper down, but it wasn't that big. This year, it's down quite a bit. 
to, you know, just a little bit above average defensively, which still amazes me. It kind of gives you an idea of, of where his abilities lie, considering how indifferent his effort has been. But he still blocks shots and he still gets steals, just probably because he's he's big and he's fast and he's he's quick. And so when he locks in, he can still be disruptive defensively. But for the most part, he's, like I said, fairly indifferent. There's that um, one clip somebody tweeted uh, tweeted of, of Wall just standing in one place on defense for, you know, it was like 15 seconds. Almost. Yeah, I think it was John and Schumann it was who, who tw- it was against the Knicks when he just, he took a nap and I mean, we all yeah. look, he, we're all tired, you know, he, he, he needed yeah. a rest and Emmanuel Moody needed a wide open three. So, um, yeah. well, but, and the, the, the thing with Wall is in, you know, he's had the potential to be, I think, when he entered the NBA, I felt like he had the potential to be an all-time great guard. You know, to be truly one of the all-time great point guards. He was blazing fast, you know, physical tools that were just elite, absolutely elite. And he had problems shooting the ball. And he had problems with turnovers. And now he's, what, this is his ninth year in the league? Mm-hmm. And if you look at his problems, his his motor is not what it was. What are he his on-off splits? Uh, negative. He the team is better offensively when he's on the bench this year, and they're better defensively when he's on the bench this year. Now that's something that could turn around over time. You know, over the length of the season, there could be some fluky results. I haven't gone game by game. You know, through his game log, but that's also a change. Typically, the Wizards have been at least a little bit better, or no worse. You know, they've been better offensively. I think every year of his career, and they've been as good or or better defensively what, you know, when he's on the floor, he's, he's generally been a positive um, in both those respects. Um, but, you know, nine years in the league now, he, his motor isn't what he was. He doesn't play nearly as hard as he used to. And he, his shooting is better than it was certainly when he was young, but it's not that much better. His shot selection is still bad and he still turns the ball over a lot. And you add to that the things where he he holds the ball, he dominates the ball, and he doesn't move without the ball. And what it does is it stagnates the offense, which is part of the reason why they're why they're down, um, you know, why they're worse this year offensively when he's in there. It it affects his own offensive efficiency, which is poor. And when you have somebody who has low offensive efficiency and uses a ton of possessions. Your offense <laughs> is going to your, your offense is going to struggle. That's a winning combination. And, so and yeah. so so he scored one point against the Cavs and and, yeah. and and now with with the Cavs, I mean that performance. There's some caveats go on that, of course. You know, well, has, I want to talk about reported. those caveats. Yeah, so, please go go so, go. So go. so <laughs> so you know, Wall says he's dealing with bone spurs, and um, you know, one of them got hot. As I think the phrase that he used, and so he was really uncomfortable. And it's just, I, I it is so wizards, man. I, you, 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 uh, you have the Cavs who are who are going from being super expensive and good to trying to um, to to be bad and hoard picks and assets and all that stuff. And and you look at a guy like Tristan Thompson who. Signed a, a a big a big contract a few years ago, actually by virtue of of being represented by by Rich Paul, um, and he was perceived as kind of a negative value 
guy. He's not a stretchy big. He's a great rebounder and 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 a good defender. But you know, no one thought uh, two thoughts about Chris, uh, Tristan Thompson going into this season. And he's um, he's putting up huge numbers. And and mm-hmm. and so if if you're the Cavs and your team Tristan Thompson, you're psyched because you're you're working towards the same thing, which is the Cavs want to trade Tristan Thompson for a a non-negative, hopefully a positive return. Tristan Thompson, I'm sure, wants to get the hell out of Cleveland, and um, <laughs> I think his fiance or wife lives in um, li- lives in L.A. So um, uh, they're working together to to goose his trade value. Meanwhile, you know the Wizards and Walls are both better off a divorce. There have got to be members of both camps that know this. Um, Walls coming off uh, being out for the birth of a child, um, and uh, and is not feeling well physically. And what do the Wizards do? They they throw him out on the court anyway, and and he stinks it up, and and it. Um, offers a few more um, highlights for um, uh, along the lines of, of the clips that we just talked about on 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 social media a- and just sort of feeds into the narrative that why would anyone want to trade for this guy like hey he's not feeling well hold him out <laughs> um, manage his minutes they, his they've got Thomas Sadaransky who's a really good um, backup point guard who's certainly a viable, uh, rotation guard, give him 15 or 18 minutes of, of, of Wall's time per game. Like, they just, they, there there seems to be no uh, smart management, well, period, but of, of, of this situation. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And, I, you know, I don't know. There's this, the, the Wizards... How am I going to say this? The Wizards front office and their coaching staff too. They seem to think that player relations is best handled by kissing their asses. And so it's, it's things like wall had a terrific season, third NBA, you know, third team, all NBA. And they award him at the earliest possible moment, the absolute maximum amount of money that they could possibly pay him, and they do it with two years left on his existing deal. And was that nice of them? Sure. <laughs> it's going to come back and bite them. And, yeah, it already and has. And part of the reason for that is that they, they're, 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 they're so on eggshells around them. I mean, Scott Brooks's approach to managing John Wall was basically to turn him loose. And th- there's no sense that I have, certainly in, in watching the team play, that wall really gets coached in any sense of the word, meaning that he gets things that he does wrong, corrected, that he is, is sort of taught and guided into this is the right way to play. This is how we want you to play. There was a little bit of that, I guess, in the, uh, in training camp where they were saying, well, we want to shoot more threes and that kind of stuff. That was a team wide emphasis. And, you know, wall came in and his shot selection was better but still not very productive. And then a couple of weeks ago, he just decided, you know what, I'm going to go start shooting mid-range shots again because I'm more comfortable doing that. And he flings them up and they're, they're bad shots. And But my point is that, that that's really been the case throughout his entire career. You know, I mentioned earlier when he entered the league, he had that Pantheon ability. He could have been one of the all-time great 
point guards. And the Wizards, he came into sort of a crazy situation with Gilbert Arenas and, you know, all the mess that they that they had with with Gil, who by at that point had pretty well gone nuts and was a disruptive individual. So you have that. But then they they brought in uh, Randy Whitman and Whitman had this like old school approach. And he he his idea was that open shots are good shots and you should take these mid-range shots because they're quote-unquote good shots, even if they don't go in, but they're still good shots. It just never made any sense to me. and But they had that for several years, and then they brought in Scott Brooks, whose solution was, well, let's just basically run a bunch of ISOs and some screen rolls for our two stars, uh, the two stars being um, Wall and Beal. And this gets into this whole like organizational thing where they don't really seem to assess their players very well. They don't really seem to have a sense for how good any of their players are or how not very good any of their players are. And that seems to be fairly true in general, like of the league, that they they don't seem all that savvy in assessing what players do well, how they might work well together, and then putting that together into a team. And then also getting guys to play in certain ways that, you know, minimize their weaknesses and accentuate their positives. And so like for wall to be at a 29% usage rate, which is by far the highest on the team, uh, you know, that's four points higher than Bradley Beals, for example. And he's, he's second. Um, That's that, that doesn't make any sense considering what a poor shooter he is. Um, you know, he, he leads the, leads the team in field goal attempts. He takes as many uh, shots as Bradley Beal does. Beal's a much better shooter. Well, um, see, and he look. takes, he takes, let me see. He takes eight more shots per hundred possessions, eight and a half shots more per hundred possessions than Otto Porter. Otto Porter is the best shooter on that team. They seem completely unaware of how good Porter is and, and of how the interaction with wall, when wall is on the floor, that talent is simply diminished well i i think i think you're being overly negative i don't think you're seeing the positive of the fact that um walls bone spurs mean here he's not going to be drafted into military service in (laughs) vietnam and um and and we should all be very thankful for that um some total is uh so wizards the wizards are a mess they're uh they're i guess 11 and 15 they uh in a in an Eastern Conference where the, the, the top is pretty solid, but the middle and bottom is horrendous and, and the West is awesome. And at the moment, it doesn't appear, appear like they're going anywhere good. Um, and, and that's going to be the case for, for the foreseeable future until some some big changes. And um, But that doesn't mean it's not fun. And we don't make all sorts of wonderful friends along the way. Right, Kevin? Yeah, that's right. So, Wizards, check out Kevin on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. I'm at underscore Ben Becker. We'll we'll catch you guys soon.